and I really fancy some new potatoes or whatever it is they fancy, then we will make that happen within the bounds of the uh, advice from the nutritionist. Welcome to the 40 Fit and Fabulous podcast. Join your host, Mark Slight, as he gets the best information, inspiration, help, and advice from the world's best athletes, performance coaches, and health experts so that you can look, move, and feel your best at 40 and beyond. Remember, it's never too late to live the life of your dreams. Now here's your host, Mark Slight. Hello, all you wonderful people. This is episode 11 of the 40 Fit and Fabulous podcast with guest performance chef Rachel Muse. I really want to tell you exactly what Rachel does now because it's, it's really exciting and I've actually I've loved talking to Rachel over these two episodes because I do find what she does a fascinating job, more than a job in fact, because she loves what she does and I would love to be doing what she does. I'm not going to tell you too much right now in the intro because we're going to talk about it when I bring Rachel in in a moment. But just the quick short story for you. Rachel is a performance chef who cooks for elite professionals and elite athletes in their own home. And obviously, although Rachel can't actually name names during the podcast, she does tell some really good stories of exactly how it works, some of the things that go on behind the scenes, how she got into the job and how she just loves what she does. And that really comes across the care into the ingredients that she puts in and the preparing the food and trying to get that balance of, of being a chef, but also being aware that you're in someone's house and trying to get that employee employer relationship just right. And it's a, it's a tricky thing to do when you cook it in someone else's house. So I want to introduce Rachel straight away now. Remember to stay behind for a few minutes after me and Rachel have spoken because I've got a question coming up from my own community, which I'm sure a lot of you are going to understand and want to know a little bit more about. So so do stick behind for that. But here we go then, guys. Episode number 11 with performance chef Rachel Muse. Hi, Rachel. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Mark. You caught me just having a cup of tea, a sip of tea there, but yes, I'm doing I, very I well. Could, I could tell that. Yeah, I could hear you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was bracing myself because there's going to be a lot of talking, so I'm, I'm <laughs> making certain I'm ready, and I am ready. Okay, so we're good to go now. Yes. All right, so when, when we first spoke, I'll be honest, I was, I was fascinated with what you do. I'm going to say as a job, but I get the feeling that to you it's a little bit more than a job. I get the feeling you're quite passionate about what you do. And just for the listeners, um, I want to try and give an overview. We've got, we've got professional athletes at one end of the scale. And then at the other end, we've got nutritionists supplying them with information on, on how to eat. And Correct. you bridge the gap, don't you? You take the information given by the nutritionist and you put it on a plate for the athlete. Is that right? Yes. Well done. You're a great listener. That's exactly <laughs> what we do. Uh, yes. So um, nutritionists are you know great great people who really understand uh physiology and nutrition and thousands of other things that i could only guess at uh and they usually uh interact with their clients and leave them with a little kind of um folder saying these are the things you should eat and this is when you should eat them and now it's all about periodized nutrition so you eat different things on different days depending on um how close you are to an event or a race or a match or whatever it might be um depending on your sport depending on what type of athlete you are and then the athletes, some athletes are great and they understand what that means. And off they go and they start cooking it. Probably with not 
a huge variety of cooking skills but they can go off and 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 figure out what they need to do and do it there are other athletes who are bamboozled by the whole situation or um i hesitate to say it not particularly interested um and that's where we can step in and we take that nutritional information off the page and to put it on a plate uh, and we when we're cooking for individual athletes uh, in their own homes which we do quite a lot of then we can tailor the food to exactly that individual's taste so if uh, if the 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 athlete is thinking to themselves oh well you know I had a pork chop for lunch at training and I had this and I had that and a bit of couscous and tonight I really fancy some fish and I really fancy some new potatoes or whatever it is they fancy then we will make that happen within the bounds of the uh, advice from the nutritionist so the nutritionist will often say to us uh 40 grams of protein uh 60 grams of carbs and uh 15 grams of fat or or, you know it depends day by day it it depends completely it changes completely and so we would make whatever the athlete is hankering after after so that might be as i said it might be some uh, fish with a bit of uh, a bit of a, a lemon sauce and some new potatoes and some salad and then afterwards some fruit and some yogurt that we'd, we would have made ourselves and some nuts whatever it is but we will make that food that the athlete asks for and match it up to the requirements of the nutritionist so in that way yes we are bridging the gap okay that's, that's cool so do the nutritionists that they well you kind of answered my next question there but they're just supplying, sorry <laughs> just, it's um they're supplying just the information just the macros so just the proteins the fats and the carbs are they actually yes. supplying any no meal plans as such. They're just literally giving them the, the information. It depends. It depends. We work with a whole range of nutritionists. I find that the British ones uh, tend to just do the macros and they might have an advice as in uh, ideally fish or ideally red meat or ideally white meat. Um, and I and in general, the French or the Spanish uh, nutritionists who we work with, because each each athlete will come paired up already with their own nutritionist. So therefore, when we take on a new client, we take on, well, that sounds awful, like, you know, like it's a negative thing, but when we, when, we, when we are connected to a new client, we're also connected to their, their nutritionist. So some nutritionists, uh, I think, are unused to working with performance chefs, so they might just write meal plans, which it depends because you deal with a whole selection of nutritionists, and this might sound like I'm being um, being less than complimentary to nutritionists, but I think that's just because nutritionists don't understand that there are a great range of performance chefs out here to help them, so they don't understand how much help a performance chef will give them. So some performance nutritionists who maybe aren't particularly used to working with great performance chefs do write meal plans and I have found uh, that that might not be particularly appropriate Uh, for example um, I was recently with a client a couple of months ago there was snow on the ground and their nutritionist had actually written a meal plan for that week and that nutritionist was a long way away somewhere much warmer and one of the items on the menu was tomato salad. And I said, 
well, you know, does this really need to be tomato salad? Can we not make it into tomato soup? There's snow on the ground. You know, you're probably not in the mood for tomato salad. Uh, and I think that is, that's not um, a fault of the performance nutritionist. That's just the nutritionist not understanding that you can give the macros to a performance chef and they'll just crack on with it. Yeah, and it gives, I think, you're obviously giving the client a lot more variation in what they eat. I remember when we spoke before, you were saying about the, how's the best way to put it? You can customize things quite well. You'd have a client come to you and say, do you know what I fancy? Maybe you're using lasagna as an example. Exactly. But it's a low carb day. So try to get a balance between what's a good thing and what's not. Yes. Um, I think we're all, we're all different. Our brains are wired up very differently but I think food is a very very important part of most people's lives not everybody's but most people's lives I think it goes back to when we were living in caves uh you know the the thought of food at the end of the day is really exciting and you know most people spend some time thinking about it think oh I really quite fancy a bolognese tonight or I really fancy a chicken pie or whatever it is uh you know we also have lots of clients who are vegetarians and lots of clients who are vegans so it's not it's not all about me um but uh, it's if you have it in your mind that you'd really like a whatever it is. I know this is true of me. If I have, have in my mind that I would really like to have a chocolate biscuit, then I may as well just eat that chocolate biscuit. Because if not, I personally will eat a salad and then I might have a bit of cheese. Then I have a bit of fruit. Then I'll eat the chocolate biscuit. <laughs> because I'm just trying to delay the, the thinking, well, you know, you're hungry, eat something proper, do this, do that. Da, 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 da. If I'd have just eaten the chocolate biscuit, we'd have been over and done with. I probably would have had half the chocolate biscuit. I'd have been over and done with there and then. And I wouldn't have had to eat the salad, the cheese and the fruit as some sort of complicated <laughs> mental warm up of denying myself the chocolate biscuit. So I do think that if people have in their mind that they would like to eat a lasagna or a roast chicken or whatever it is then we really do try and make that happen because food should be pleasurable it's also very important when you are an elite athlete that it is providing you with the nutrition that you need but if you're eating things that you don't like then that feels like punishment and it shouldn't feel like punishment it should feel like pleasure wrapped up with nutrition in my opinion yeah, that's right. It's the same for everyone. Um, everyone on the street as well, not just elite athletes. If you feel you've been restricted something, you're only going to crave it more. You're going to want it more. And I think with you coming in to the athletes' lives, it's going to give them that variation, that scope to change things around. I know when I was at my peak, when I was competing, my diet was quite bland. It would be chicken, rice and peas most of the time. And yeah, my, my pre-match dinners were the same. Post-match dinners were the same. And yeah, they were quite bland. I wasn't putting lemon sauces on and things that I would do now. But if I had yeah. that choice when I was an after, I really wish that when I was competing, I had you in my life to cook my food. Because oh, I well, think it would have... I'm sorry, I but we can get our hands on a get our hands on a time machine go back in time and then we can figure that all out and it will be wonderful and you'll you might who knows i always think that you can't say for certain but if you're happy and if you're if your body is really well nourished then that might just be the extra half a percent you need to do whatever it is and also i said well i really do think that if you're very well nourished then if your body is thinking about having an injury then if it's really well nourished really well rested the body says to itself you know actually i can't be bothered being injured whereas if you haven't been eating properly you haven't been sleeping properly just had an argument with someone then that's got to affect your body and your body says you know 
stuff it, I'm going to be injured. Even if it's only a little niggle, I do really think it's so important. Uh, a lot of it you can't prove, and maybe it's just happening in your head. But if your head's happy, then it just makes life, everything else easier, doesn't it? It does. It doesn't matter where it comes from. You know, if it, if it feels good for you, it's right. And I think you underestimate what you said there. I think you're spot on with what you said. A healthy body, a well-nourished body is going to, you're going to have less injuries, less illnesses. You're going to feel better. And ultimately for these athletes, they're going to perform better as well. Whether someone can statistically prove all that um, is another, is another matter, but I believe that 100%. So yes. Also, there are some there are some people, some athletes, because we see behind closed doors, and I, you know, I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to dish the dirt, but I can talk in general terms. And there are some athletes who thrive on chaos. That's their stick. They like chaos, and they they make lives for themselves that are a muddle. That they can't find their car keys. They're always having, you know, arguing with their neighbours or whatever it is. And but that's what they need in their life, so that when they do go to training, that's the that's the safe space, that's the clear space in their life, and that's where they focus. So we're all different. We're absolutely all different. Yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I've never I've never thought about it like that. I always look at the people with the chaotic lives, thinking you need to chill out a bit. You need to get some some order and some, you know, some some processes in your life. But yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe they can then go and let it out at training. Makes them a better athlete. Definitely. I've never I've never really looked at it in that way before. Well, you know, seeing behind seeing seeing athletes when they're not athletes, when they're just people, yeah. when they're family men or you know, family women, mothers. Uh, fathers, brothers, you see, you see that side of them. You see the person that they are. And they are, you know, a huge range of people from really organized, really, really kind of always questioning, mentally tough, da 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 da, to kind of, you know, clowny, jokey, disorganized, having a laugh. Uh, and, you know, they're people. They're just people. How do you get on with the, obviously you alluded to a minute ago, you go into people's houses, into athletes' houses and you cook for them. I know you do a little bit of their shopping for them as well and you bring their food in. Does, does this change when, if you're working with an athlete who's maybe single for a few years, then maybe he gets married. Do you, do you continue into the marital home or do you find that, that you kind of, you know, the women come in and go, Who, who's this woman you've got coming in every day cooking your food? I can do that for you. Um, well, I have to be careful what I say now. Um, but normally if you are an athlete you haven't selected your partner on their ability to cook right okay that's the first thing I look for (laughs) well yes that's that's you (laughs) but uh you know uh, um athletes particularly those who uh, might cook a a kick a football about uh they're their criteria for choosing a partner might not include someone who can cook and you know i i am a modern liberated woman it's not it's not the job of a woman to do the cooking i do i cook i'm female and i cook because it's what i love to do but it's i would not say that if i were married that that would be my job it depends yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just curious of the dynamic. Like when, when, when the, when the, like, you know, if you're with a client for a long time, obviously their life changes and they, they, they grow and they, they build a family. I'm just curious how that, uh, if that changes your role at all. It, it does, but that only in terms of the personalities in the house and the dynamics in the house, it doesn't really change the role. Uh, sometimes not b- before I started uh, working 
for athletes and now it's not just me we've got a whole team of chefs matched up with athletes and everyone's each chef is matched up with their own athlete and you know it carries on like that um but before i started working with athletes i used to work with high net worth individuals so that's people whose names you would have heard of and no i'm not going to tell you who they are but um high profile businessmen high profile show business people blah 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 where one of them would be very very busy like in a part in a part in a marriage one of them would be very, very busy, literally around the world every couple of weeks, like seriously, like, you know, uh, I'd, they'd go away for a couple of days, they'd come back and they would have been to Australia, Dubai, um, the West Coast of the States, uh, East Coast of the States, and then they'd come back and that would be in the space of five days and they'd have been having meetings all the way around the world. Um, and so of, the, of that partnership, you'd have say it's the woman who's working like that and it's the man who's at home then the man can be snippy and open up the fridge and go well you know why 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 is it still the same blueberries as yesterday and why is this there and why is this there why's why's that there or you know just be snippy about this and that um because they're bored um and you don't get that with uh with athletes they are much more energetic i want to say that's the word i i jumped to but i'm not certain that's the right word they uh they just seem to have that i suppose they're younger they don't seem to um want to nitpick about how the kitchen is set up or organized which you always have to bear in mind it's their kitchen it's their house uh it happens to be your office as well so you have to find a way to navigate that so if they want to keep the whatever it is in one particular fridge and do this like that then you accommodate them you make that happen but then you'll have your fridge to keep your things in and organize it like that uh and it's always you know if you've got to share a car or share an office or share whatever it is you've got to work out how you're going to um both keep it nice for each other um but yes i find that partners of athletes basically leave you alone they've got other things to think about often children uh family dynamics careers of their own whatever it is but they're not particularly concerned about what's going on in the kitchen all oh, right. Okay, then. So just to go back a step then, um, when you, I can't remember what word you use, when you take on a new client, when you connect yes. with a new client, yes, who, who is it who actually comes to you? Is it the, is it the let's say, the, the athlete who, who gets the inf- information from the nutritionist, goes in the kitchen and thinks, you know what, I don't have a clue what I'm doing here? Or is it maybe the club or the association that are connected with the athlete that contact you or the nutritionist? How does it work? It- it's a whole range of things. Um, it used to be that we would just get a client when they, there was an issue uh, because the, the the club had realised, oh, yeah, this person's really not eating when they go home or they're eating just junk. But now we get all sorts of people uh, and we get them from a whole variety of people. We get word of mouth, one athlete to another of, well, mate, you should, you should get one of Rachel's team round. Good for you. And it's like, <laughs> all right, okay. Yeah, that sounds good. What's that? So you quite often, um, you know, have someone come round who's another athlete come round and just yeah. kind of look at you, eat the dinner, look at you, see how it's all set up and go, yeah, 
yeah. I want some of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll have some of this. Yeah, how, do, how does that work then? And you're like, okay, well, it works like this, and you know, and it's and it's different for everybody. It's a completely bespoke service. It, it is what the client needs. Uh, so there's no like you can have package A, B, or C. It's like no, there are no packages, mate. You tell us what you want, and we will do our very best to accommodate you. Um, so so it, it can be through. Um, athletes it can be through nutritionists it can be through uh, player liaisons who you know the people who are set up to help um, footballers settle into a new club you know help them find a new flat help them find uh, kids for their schools sort them out with bank accounts if they're new to the new to this country whatever it is Um, and one of those things that the player might need especially to settle in is someone to to cook for them and we also provide um i've i've spent many years living outside the uk um living in countries where english is not spoken and so i know at the end of the day if you've been speaking you know french or spanish whatever it is all day you can just want to go home and just speak your mother tongue because you've just you're just exhausted you've just had enough Uh, and it's just it's a different part of your brain your mother tongue is a different part of your brain to any language you learn in, in my opinion and um so we will also find uh players uh chefs who speak their mother tongue, who are used to their cuisine. We have one particular uh, client who's Portuguese and he has a wonderful Portuguese chef uh, cooking with him and they understand each other's cultures. And, um, I, uh, you know, they're both fabulous, fabulous people. Uh, but timekeeping in both cases is a little bit shoddy. But because they're both Portuguese, they don't, they don't even mind. They don't even notice when I'm up there, uh, helping out or doing this or doing that. I'm like, well, isn't it already gone half past seven? But they don't, you know, they don't even work like that, the Portuguese. They're just all very kind of fluid about time. So, you know, it, it, we really do try and find the, the right chef for each client uh, so they will feel completely at home completely relaxed and it, it's a it becomes a really quite a strong bond it's not a friendship it's a you know it's a strong working relationship between the client and the, the chef because you, you see each other uh, pretty nearly every day uh, you learn each other's little ways you learn each other's um, you know personalities and it's you know it's a really enjoyable job when you're working for a great client and all of our football clients are great great people yeah it does sound very much like a like a a link between a, a client and a friend a good uh, you, you're going to need a good bond if you're going to be in their house definitely yes exactly and you know this is we we screen our chefs very very carefully because you can be a great great chef but if you can't be in someone else's house and understand what that is and what it is to be in someone else's space and sometimes they will be in a bad mood sometimes they will just have had an argument with their mother or whatever uh and if you can't understand that and be around that um then it doesn't matter how well you cook you're not the right person for the job it's it's very much organization personality and then 
cooking the cooking i always say the cooking i can teach i can't teach people to be organized i can't pe- teach people to have the right personality i can teach people to cook so it's uh, and then once you've matched everybody up and everyone's happy like normally by about november in the season everyone's relaxed and everyone's happy it's like woohoo well, <laughs> this is great everyone's you know got great great clients you know given some more uh, jobs to some great chefs and yeah now, I don't know about you, but before I met Rachel, I never really knew that this job actually existed. I, obviously, there's performance chefs, but I always imagined that they would be at the training grounds or they'd be at the sports centres or the facilities. I never really give it a thought about performance chefs actually going into athletes' houses and cooking for them. And that's why I found this such a riveting conversation. One thing that really stood out for me there was the the passion and the love that Rachel has for what she does. And and I think when you have the passion and you have the love for something like that, that comes across in your work. And performance chefs like Rachel are playing such a vital role in in top athletes' careers and their performances. And it's it's largely underestimated by by a lot of the public. A lot of the public don't don't really give a thought to this, this kind of profession and this kind of work that goes on behind the scenes. But without people like Rachel behind the scenes, top athletes just, let's be honest, just would not get the results that they do get. Not every athlete or sports star is a good cook. You know, it takes time to learn. And and the last thing you want to be doing, if you're playing at the top of your field or you're one of the world's greatest players, you don't want to be giving yourself subpar food. You need someone like Rachel or her team to come in and give you not just tasty and nourishing food, but the right food as well, which is supplied by nutritionists. And it has to be on the button. You know, these are the top, these players are the top of their game and everything behind the scenes needs to be exactly that it needs to be the best of the best of the best and that's exactly what rachel supplies so please come back for part two you're going to love that we're going to get into we're going to tell a few little stories as well about uh, about some of the behind the scenes stuff so that's going to be really interesting but i've got a question here from my own community here from jason and that is he says i talk about meditation quite a lot and uh, and the power of mindfulness but how does someone who doesn't quite understand what meditation is how does someone start? What's the first thing they need to do? And I think the easiest way to explain is the very first time I meditated, I was exactly the same. I had the impression of the monks sitting at the bottom of Everest, you know, knees crossed, arms folded, just, just sitting there for hours, peace and quiet, not speaking. That was kind of the impression I had, if I'm honest. Um, but my first ever meditation, I locked myself away in my spare room. I had a cup of tea in my hand and I just sat there for 10 minutes. And the entire purpose of this 10 minutes was to try and quieten the thoughts in my mind try and sit there for 10 minutes without a thought going through my mind if I'm honest I thought it was going to be quite easy and I'd I'd get bored after a few minutes but what happened was I I couldn't go more than three seconds without a thought creeping into my head could be who am I speaking to tomorrow what am I having for dinner later what about this what about that It, it could have been the tiniest thought oh my shoelace is undone it could have been anything but I could not stop thoughts going through my head for more than three seconds and it was then that I thought, you know what, if this is happening all day, every day, and I'm not getting more than three seconds of quietness in my mind, then how am I ever going to perform at my best? How am I ever going to be able to think about what I need to think about if I can't stop this this railroad of thoughts going through my head all the time? So so from there, I progressed. Well, from there, I tried to do that quite a few times in the next couple of weeks, just trying to prolong the three seconds, trying to just get some quiet periods in my mind. And that was, that was just the same, just going sitting in a room or sitting by a lake somewhere and just trying to be quiet and still for 10 minutes. So all it was. From there, I progressed to there's things like head, the Headspace app, the Calm app, um, the Mindfulness app, all on, 
on your iOS device or your Android device. And you, if you haven't got anything like that, you can even head on to YouTube. There, there's meditation apps there, or there's meditation videos there on YouTube that you can just tune into, just listen to. And it could be as simple as just listening to something like a Headspace app just before you go to bed and just relaxing, just spending some quiet time because you know what it's like in this busy world. How often do you actually get 10 minutes to sit and be quiet? And you probably hear the phrase, it's a game changer quite a lot. And we've used it on the podcast a few times, but it really, really is. If you can if you can control your mind, everything in life becomes easy. It really, really does. So go away. My advice to Jason, my advice to everybody who's listened to this, just try and sit somewhere quiet for 10 minutes. Try and be peaceful. Try and be calm. And just try and get that quiet space in your head for a minute. That's all it needs to be for a minute to begin with. And believe me, getting a minute of quiet time in your head in this day and age is incredibly difficult. And you'll soon understand how busy and how cluttered your mind is. And from there, we can work on on brain dumps and clearing your mind a lot more. But for now, just try and get that 60 seconds of quietness in your head. And however you do that, sitting sitting by lakes, sitting in your spare room, go and lock yourself in the shed. It really does not matter. But just find yourself that time to have 10 minutes, quiet time, and try out that 10 minutes, try and get 60 seconds of stillness in your mind. Okay, so we're going to come back in a few days' time, episode number 12 and part two with Rachel Muse. Don't forget, we're going to get a few of them little backstories in there from some of the sports stars, so don't miss that. Take care, guys. Be happy, and I'll speak to you again soon.